Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lions fans, it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. Welcome to the Daily DLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson, and today I'm going to take you on a trip around the division. We'll start with the Lions game against the Vikings, since I really only gave you a poorly sung Christmas song, which I ham-fistedly altered to make it sound Lions-related. Honolulu Blue and Silver Bells, biggest banger of 2023. I don't care if anyone agrees with me. (laughs) Anyway... Let's get on to this game. Uh, prior to the game, I told you guys that they were just running the Kirk Cousins offense, except that the guy in the driver's seat wasn't Cousins, was going to make mistakes, and the Lions needed to take advantage of them. I'm not going to lie. I was extremely concerned when Brian Branch dropped that easy pick in the first quarter, uh, because I kind of assumed there would be only three or four opportunities to make a game-turning play, and that he had uncharacteristically kind of missed one. Uh I thought he let an important play slip through his fingers. And, and I mean, he did. They did score after that. But he probably had about seven that could have been picked. And the Lions did get four of them. That was enough. Uh, so despite throwing for 411 yards, uh, those four picks are going to be what the Vikings quarterback is remembered for. If I were the Vikings fans, I'd be a little concerned that... Uh, only one running back on the team managed to average positive yardage running the ball against the Lions defense, and it was only 2.1 yards per carry. Uh, None of them were good. I'd be concerned that my coaching staff kept putting the game in the hands of the quarterback who seemed hell-bent on giving the game to the other team because my O-line couldn't open a hole in a can of soup with an automatic can opener. Like, at no point in this game was Minnesota down more than 10 points. And at the half, they were down by three. I'd be extremely concerned that despite the fact that it was a close game and the fourth string QB was on the field, my head coach and offensive play caller decided to run the ball so little. So little that my defense was exhausted by the end of the game because the Lions ran 50% more plays on the field than the Vikings did in this game. In an analytics lover's wet dream of a game flow like the vikings ran the ball only 10 times with running backs they threw 36 times completed 22 of them and had two touchdowns and uh this is an illustration of why that's not a viable offensive strategy like maybe if you have patrick mahomes 
being that one-dimensional can kind of work out. But the Vikings clearly do not, which makes it a bit baffling as their game plan. Like, their running backs are terrible. I've been pointing that out all year, and I'm sure if I can see it, their coaches know. But to abandon the run completely when the clock is not particularly your enemy just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, Justin Jefferson had himself a day. He showed he's one of the best receivers in the league. Six catches, 141 yards, touchdown. Excellent performance at a losing effort. Uh, K.J. Osborne showed he's probably one of the most underrated wide receiver threes in the league with his five catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. Uh, T.J. Hawkinson looks like massive, massive knee injury in this game, uh, which is kind of the reason he was limited to four catches and 58 yards. That's not good for them. They just gave him a giant contract, and when you tear a whole bunch of tendons, which is the scuttlebutt that's going around the internet right now, that's when things kind of tend to go sideways on these guys who are bigger, which, which Hawkinson is not a small tight end. He's not a massive one either. I mean, he's no Dwayne Washington, but he's, he's a pretty big dude. Uh, we all obviously hope that he comes back and he's fine. Uh, Josh Metellus had himself a day. Uh, he was a thorn in the Lions' side from all over the fields. Uh, but with all the blitzing, the only sack the Vikings managed was due to a bizarre decision from Jared Goff to spin out the back of the pocket rather than taking the plethora of open space that he could have just easily stepped into the other side. Given what a few other teams have managed recently against the Lions in terms of pressuring the quarterback, that would also probably concern me if I were a Lions or a Vikings fan. While other teams utilizing a version of the West Coast offense have managed to thrive with backup quarterbacks, the Vikings had some minor success with Josh Dobbs. But then rather than working within his skill set, which is what all of those other teams have done with their backup quarterbacks... The Vikings coach tried to wedge Dobbs into a Cousins-like hole, and the exact results that you might expect are what he got. Failure and losses. You can't take random, not-so-great quarterback of a different style and try to run the same offense you were running with a Kirk Cousins and, and hope that that's going to work. Like, if I were a Vikings fan, that would actually be the thing that would concern me the most about any of this. Because it shows that even if they did trade up for someone like Jaden Daniels or J.J. McCarthy in this draft, the coach can't move out of his comfort zone and live there. And that's a little bit of what we saw in the late Jared Goff era of the Rams, is it just, he just couldn't adjust in a way that was going to work with the player he had. I'm talking about Sean McVay there. Um... <laughs> Like, O'Connell's kind of going the break them down and rebuild them method that has been debunked as a successful way of managing young quarterbacks. Like, that would be the most concerning thing for me as a Vikings fan by far, because the second I knew Nick Mullins was the quarterback of this Vikings game, I knew the Lions were going to win. Because he can only run the version of the West Coast offense that Kirk Cousins can execute. Badly. Uh, <laughs> the... the the QBs like Cousins don't really come out anymore. You know, like a pocket-passing quarterback isn't really a thing that colleges produce. So if that's what you need to be successful in the NFL, you're on a pretty short timeline here. Like, I wouldn't trust this coach to bring in a young QB 
based on what I've seen with how he used the quarterbacks he had access to this year. In the end, the Vikings fell out of the division. <laughs> and uh, I could not be less afraid of them in week 18. How about those Packers, though? They beat a Panthers team that uh, looks like they're ready to unpack their lockers and immediately following their Week 18 loss to whoever they're playing, get out of Charlotte. Jordan Love managed 17 of 28 for 219 yards with two touchdowns, no picks, but the offensive star of the show was Aaron Jones in this game with 127 yards on 20 carries. Romeo Dubs, four catches, 79 yards, touchdown. This offense just looks different with Christian Watson in it. Like having him and Romeo uh, both on the field, it just changes everything they do. Like I can't really dump on the offense in this game. They did put up 33 points, uh, but it was Carolina. Uh, but what happened to the Packers defense here? That's what I find most interesting. Uh, like my guy Chubb Hubbard was held in check and, you know, he only had 43 yards on 16 carries, which is not great. Well, Brexion, welcome to the 300-yard passer club for the first time in your career against this Packers defense. Young went 23 of 36 for 312 and two touchdowns against the Packers defense that was supposed to be kind of carrying this team in 2023 when we were looking at it in the preseason. The Packers need to do something at linebacker to get Quay Walker off the field. Like, this this is an Ernie Sims situation at this point, in my opinion. And for those of you who don't recall Sims' days as a Detroit Lion... Gather around the campfire. There was a time in the NFL where the cool defense was the Tampa 2. The Detroit Lions had a defensive coordinator that wanted to run the Tampa 2. To run the Tampa 2, you need an athletic phenom at the will linebacker spot, so bad teams running the defense, drafted super athletes uh, who couldn't play. <laughs> that's, that's how you suck at the Tampa 2 defense, and the Lions did. Ernie Sims was the Lions guy whose testing far outreached his ability to actually play a linebacker. He was constantly out of position, made a whole bunch of excuses that he was trying to cover for teammates' mistakes before they happened. But I think the problem was that he just didn't understand his run fits or his zone drops, and that's the entire job of the Will linebacker in the Tampa 2. Anyway, Quay Walker doesn't understand run fits or zone drops by all appearances. But he sure does run fast and jump high. Uh... Least important things a linebacker can do in the pre-draft process, just to be clear. Like, relative athletic score, if it involves a high 40 time, does not matter. It's a position where the only thing that matters is that the player's going in the right direction, not how fast, not how powerfully, but they cannot be making mistakes at 100 miles an hour. Quay Walker is the NFL linebacker equivalent of Wiley Coyote from the Looney Tunes, and every offensive player around him looks like they are the roadrunner. Packers won a tight one against the worst team in the NFL, basically ensuring that the Bears get the first pick in the draft. Uh -huh, there's nothing good or fun about this week from the Packers for Lions fans. Packers win. Chicago gets better draft position. Lose-lose. <laughs> but on to those Bears. Uh, they beat the Cardinals. And 27-16 is a solid win for this rejuvenated Bears squad. Uh, Justin Fields wasn't even the best player on their offense this week, which is a rarity. Uh, Khalil Herbert took that on uh, with 112 yards and 20 carries and a touchdown. Fields added 97 more on the ground, so I guess you could argue he probably was still their best player, but, you know, it's just you see somebody else on this team pop up and do something good. 
that's kind of a thing I have to point out here. Um, basically, Fields couldn't get it to the outside receivers because DJ Moore wasn't playing and they don't have any other good ones. Um, none, none that probably deserve to be on NFL rosters. Like you, you can say maybe Darnell Mooney does. I'm not as sure as you are in that case. Uh, Cole Komet took on the mantle as the only weapon the Bears offense had in the air and put up 107 yards on four catches. And yeah, that, uh, that led them. Without more, the Bears basically didn't really throw unless they had to. Uh, they had 27 passes and 39 rushing attempts. Uh, it's difficult for a sane person to argue with that strategy in this case, though, given the, the issues that they were having, because they did have 420 yards of offense. That's 6.3 yards per play. And they won by two scores. Their defense continued to shine, uh, limiting the Cardinals to 5.1 yards per play. And yeah, it's the Cardinals. Like, they couldn't get anything going on the ground outside Kyler Murray, who did run the ball five times for 32 yards. Uh, James Conner only managed 45 on his 12 carries, like 3.8 a pop. That's not great. Uh, Connor was also their leader in receiving yards, and that tells you the story of what the Bears' defense, or basically what the Bears' defense was giving the Cardinals. Particularly when you combine it with the fact that the Bears' leading receiver was Trey McBride, tight end, with six receptions. Uh, like if you take a look at Kyler Murray's passing chart on this, he completed one pass with more than seven air yards in this game. That's what the Bears' defense was doing to the Cardinals' offense. Uh, he didn't even attempt to pass in the middle third of the field beyond the seven-yard mark. And being as short as Murray is, he doesn't usually feast in the middle. He kind of has the opposite issue that Jared Goff has in that regard. Uh, but to, like, throw nothing? Like, you can't not ever throw there where you're going to get what they got. But the Bears had the middle of the field locked up tight, if you watch the game. Like, it's kind of funny. If you look at Fields and Murray's charts side by side, uh, the difference is that Fields has a pick <laughs> and Murray threw 11 balls. They basically played the same game with different results. Uh, the Bears offense isn't breaking new grounds with its passing game, but they seem to have kind of stopped uh, just like legitimately just shooting themselves in the foot all the time with their poor play design. Like there's still occasional plays where you're like, why are those two guys in that same spot? But it's not every third play like it used to be. Either way, the Bears won their sixth game of the season putting them only one game back of the Packers and Vikings, who still seem to think they're better than the Lions for some reason in terms of their fan bases. Uh, I'll say the Bears right now uh, are, are actually the team in the NFC that I would very much not like to have the Lions facing in the wildcard round because it would mean that they won two more games on their way to that. And uh, no. Thank you. Uh, do not want to see that Bears team again. I have zero fear of the other two teams in the NFC North. Uh, the Packers had themselves a game. Also coincided with the worst night the Lions offensive line has ever had. That is not going to happen again. But this this Bears squad, like Eberflus is a real good defensive mind. And uh, they would be idiotic to fire him this year. So... To recap the division, Vikings lost and suck. And their fans are so salty about it on Twitter, it's almost single-handedly keeping me on that app just to laugh at them. Uh -huh, they've fallen to 7-8. and eight. Packers squeaked by against the worst team in the league to climb to 7-8. and eight. And the Bears are way better than anyone gave them credit for, myself included. 
and they've likely saved their coach's job. Hopefully for us, he is as loyal to his coordinators and coaches as Jim Caldwell. They're 6-9 and nine on the year. The Lions are the champions of the NFC North. Great day. Uh, <laughs> I've stopped screaming about it. I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to add something to this that I'm going to do every week now. Uh, we're going to look at the NFC playoff picture. And other than a brief overview of our defeated rivals, that's probably what this segment's going to turn into now. The Lions could end up anywhere from the first seed to the third seed at this point, and here's how that all shakes out. Uh, driver's seat for number one is still the 49ers, despite their loss, despite their loss over the Ravens. They, uh, yeah, have the same record, also have the tiebreakers. Their conference record is 9-1, and one, and the Lions cannot catch that, so we are where we are. Uh... Basically, to claim the number one seed, the Lions need to win the rest of their games, and the 49ers need to not win the rest of their games so that the Lions have a better record than the 49ers, because that tiebreaker, it's it's sealed up. Uh, Eagles beat the Giants, which, uh, again, has them kind of in that three-way tie in terms of record, uh, but they do have the tiebreaker on us. Um, yeah. It would come down to common opponents. And the Lions can have the advantage there uh, by the end of the year if they take care of their business. But they currently don't. Um, <laughs> the Cowboys can't catch the Lions without actually beating them. Like, they're 10-5. and five. They need to win both their games to catch the Lions. Basically, Lions are in control over the Cowboys in terms of seeding. So the Lions are still capable of getting the number one seed. Could drop as low as three which is where they're currently slotted. So I guess that wouldn't really be a drop. Uh, the Buccaneers are at the top of the South right now, but they're three games back of the Lions. There are two games left. The Buccaneers should be this the fourth seed. That's how that should play out in that division. But weirder things have happened. It could still be other teams. Whoever doesn't win the NFC East between the Eagles and Cowboys will be the five seed, and they will go on the road and face the Bucs. Or possibly the Falcons. Or also still possibly the Saints, but probably the Bucs. Which takes us to the Rams. Currently the number six seed at eight and seven. Uh, they play the 49ers week 18. Uh, so Lions fans will probably still be cheering for Matthew Stafford at least one more time. <laughs> A split of their games would likely still get the Rams into the playoffs, given how the rest of this group is performing. Uh, the Rams are one of the most likely wildcard weekend opponents for the Lions. Um, as stylistically, I would prefer the Rams over the Seahawks just based on what the Seahawks do. And they are the seven seed right now as things stand, also eight and seven with two to go. Uh, they play the Steelers and the Cardinals. So chances are they are getting at least a split in those games. Seahawks are probably going to be in. Just based on what they've done to the Lions the last couple of years, I want no part of that. <laughs> to be blunt. It's not impossible for the Lions to win. Those have all been very close games. But it just has not worked out in the Lions' favor. I really don't like the matchup. Behind them are a bunch of teams like the Vikings, the Packers, the Saints, the Falcons, who realistically, like, they're the only ones left. Like, the Bears technically can get in, but it's super unlikely. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, we're not mathematically out, like we always used to say in the middle of December sometimes. In our less awful seasons under Matt Patricia. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, basically, it, those teams have to win out to get in, 
pretty much and have some help from the Rams or Seahawks in that regard. Not super likely to happen. I don't think either of those teams are going to lose out. Uh, it'd be nice if we ended up with the two seed and like the Saints or Falcons pulled that off. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd infinitely prefer that to either the Rams or the Seahawks, but it is what it is. It's probably going to be Seahawks or Rams, most likely. I do like the idea of beating Matthew Stafford. Uh, because I am one of the fans who, uh, I don't cheer for someone who dumped me. That's your trip around the division and the NFC playoff picture. See you tomorrow with a preview of the Cowboys offense. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Lions. You've had enough of that shit.